0: I hadn't even thought of that, see? You're educating me right now. Hello, and welcome to House of Bards. Um, This is maybe slightly awkward. Uh, My name is Alex. And you might be expecting to hear my co-host Beth, but unfortunately Beth's computer troubles uh, that we have bemoaned constantly over the last few episodes have not improved, and though attempts were made, for the moment it, uh, it rather seems that uh, Beth is, is not really able to record new episodes, which sucks. Anyway, uh, the reason why I'm still doing an episode is because, although I did not go this year, it was... Uh, QCon, I want to say 24 uh, this the, this this weekend and I said I didn't go and it's true, I did not, but my buddy Maxie, who you may remember from the episode on QCon last year or from the game of Bards or from Beth and I constantly talking about her because she is in our Monday game group, or if you happen to be a fan of uh, the Magic the Gathering audio drama uh, as the voices of or Ketra Vraska, and Drana. So please welcome Maxi. Hey, she's, she's she's back again here to tell us all about what she got up to at QCon 24. It is 24, right?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 24.
0: Because like the first one of these I did, which was two years ago, was the QCon 22 experiment. So I'm pretty sure it was QCon 24 this year. Yeah, it's it's 24. QCon, QCon happened this. Just like, full of QCon. I say this weekend. I mean, obviously, depending on how long we talk, this may take ages to actually upload. So today is the 21st of June 2017, and QCon ran from...
1: 16th to the 18th. 16th
0: to the 18th. Thank you. So, yeah, as I said, uh, I've been in England, so I've not been able to go this year, which sucks because I'm sure I would have done a cool idea. But Maxi came to me slightly before the, the whole QCon thing went off and told me that she was gonna gonna try and do like a similar kind of experiment to the things that I usually do at QCon yes so maybe you want to tell us about that
1: okay so um you could recall Alex like um two years ago the last QCon that I ran something um
0: was that two years ago it was last year I thought because you were telling us about it last year (laughs) uh
1: so last year I came to you, and I had, like, a bunch of different option scenarios to run, and I, like, I asked you about, like, which ones were most feasible, and then I ended up, um, on your advice, doing the Little Shop Sparks.
0: Right, and at the time, I, like, made a choice not only based on what sounded cool, but also, like, what sounded the most different from what I was doing, because obviously Maxi is cool as a GM and has a lot of different ideas and I didn't I I wanted us to be competing as little as possible Mm -hmm. but I wasn't there this year so I presume you picked one of the other ideas that you had back then
1: I did I picked the one idea that you said to me sounded really cool and didn't sound anything like your games but was the one that you suggested sounded like too much work yeah and it was the bard's tale essentially right and I sat down and I thought about this, and I thought to myself, like, I really, really want to run, like, an all-barred campaign, and I really do want them to excavate a historical site, but it might... Alex is, is right, it's gonna be way too much hard work for me, and I don't think I could, like, plan this event to happen for them to all uncover. So, that's where I decided to run two scenarios this year, where the first scenario... Would be the event itself with uh, a group of six uh player characters who interact with and attempt to avert this disastrous historical event, and I would be taking notes and I would be like keeping an eye on like what they were doing and uh, and stuff that um, would be important for the later games, so that virtually my thinking was that the uh the second scenario. Three hundred years later, when a bunch of um nerdy bards show up and decide to find out what went on there, the scenario would virtually have written itself. I would just like lift the notes that I'd taken um already, the stuff that hadn't been interacted with, and kind of just like see where that went on.
0: Right. Okay. So like, there's one group setting up what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then the second group is these bards who are going to come in and uh, do archaeology on it to try and figure out what was happening, right? Yes. Right. This, that actually sounds um, quite similar. And I imagine that listeners who have heard last year's QCon episode would remember. Sounds very similar to what I did with uh, the uh, the, Mag- the Magnion Vault series. And it's a good idea. Like it was a really cool space to like explore when I ran it. And it sounds like it was probably really cool for, for you to do.
1: Oh yeah, I know. It was it was absolutely great. And um I got tons of data and the group that I got were fantastic. And they were really enthusiastic and the uh <laughs> it it turned it took a really surprising turn for me personally, because um it ended up with this group of bards uh two of which were full bards one a college of valor and one a college of law everyone else was a multi-class bard and they set it up like the two full bards were their teachers their professors and the rest of them were just like doing extra credit work
0: that kind of works i think if you're going to do like an all one class party like i remember when i did um the the thing that I t- I talked about in the first QCon episode, the um, garden party series, like when it came to having the thieves guild group where everybody was a rogue, I think there were like there was like a, a a rogue in there who was an assassin and a rogue in there who was a burglar and one that was an arcane trickster, but then there was also like a multi-classed uh, rogue fighter and a multi-class rogue cleric, because it's like it depends how, like, specific you want to make your, your, like, one class scenario as to whether or not it's viable to have everybody be actually the same class, like, entirely. Yeah. So I think it's probably, like, even though bards technically can take healing spells in 5th edition, it was probably a good idea if you'd have, like, multi-class bards. Was that, like, did you have, like, pregens or did you, like, let... The, uh, the players come up with that.
1: Thankfully this time, uh, as opposed to last time, I had all the character sheets done
0: and dusted. All right, cool.
1: Everything was written out, I was so much more well prepared, so uh, you can't call me out on this one.
0: <laughs> that's cool, that's cool. I remember last time you only had like exactly as many character sheets as you needed. Did you have...
1: Yeah, I had more. Like, I I don't I
0: don't want to like like call you up on like not doing what I consider best practice, but I remember saying like last last year that the thing that I like to do is have a maximum capacity for my sessions of 6 but then have eight character sheets. Because it just means that, like, the last person to come to the table doesn't have to be like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to, like, be this thing then. Well, it's like, they still have, like, three choices.
1: Well, I listened to you, and I made seven character sheets for both campaigns.
0: Oh, right, that's cool. I mean, it, it's like, again, it's like, I don't want to be like, oh, everybody should do it exactly the same way that I've done it. But I have my reasons why I think it's a good idea, and the thing about QCon and conventions like it is that we we want people to have fun, right? Mm-hmm. We especially want them to have fun if they've never like done anything like that before. And I feel like, given that you're doing things like having pregens so that they don't have to go through character creation, which is time consuming, and if you've never played the game before, confusing, I feel like having a choice of characters to play who are often drastically different is, like, a really easy bit of agency that you can, like, give a, a new player. So I, su- I suppose it's it's more that I have my reasons that I have explained why I think it's a good idea. And so it, it's cool to hear that, that you did. Did you have, like, a maximum of five or six players?
1: I had a maximum of six players.
0: All right, cool. There's still, still a choice of two, though, right?
1: Yeah, I uh, had yeah. A, a character sheet on Float that... Um, After the choice was made, if anyone died, they can just, like, pick up this already pre-gened character. also
0: a good reason to have more character sheets than you (laughs) need. I hadn't even thought of that, see? You're educating me right now.
1: Okay, cool. So, um, what I came up with for the first scenario, which we're probably only going to, like, pick on as the second scenario develops when I say, like, what actually happened, was Mm. that, um... I created, uh, I wanted an enclosed space, essentially, and I was going to put, like, a bunch of stuff in a bunch of rooms, so I made a citadel um, called the Yasmin Citadel, which was located on the borders of the new nation of Peruget, which is, like, the first Orcish nation in my world, which will okay. eventually become the Perugian Empire.
0: Right, so we're, we're pretty far back in time at this point. Yes, so you're seeing the genesis of, of this new uh, this new world power. But right at the moment, it's, it's just a, bit, it's a little, little tiny baby.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So um, the the founder of uh, the nation of Peruget, um, Prophet Dinus Javanta, has recently passed away. And her youngest son, Radim, has ascended the throne. Um, his older brother got passed over, essentially, which... Um, Arouses a lot of suspicion, but in the original scenario, uh, it's stated that he chose to pass over the, uh, p- pass over the throne. And, okay. um, Radim is, he's, he's a young, cautious ruler. Uh, he wants to live up to his mother's legend and, uh, he wants to maintain this new orcish nation that she's created. And one of the, one of his first calls to action is to, plan a a meeting with various other leaders from neighbouring clans and and neighbouring kingdoms and um, talk about their continued alliances going forward from from now on, essentially. And he decided to host this, this political summit, this gathering in the Yasmin citadel on the borders of his lands. And the first group of players were all rulers from various lands and um, because the Persian Empire uh, is a heavy basis on basically like Persian and um, Turkish sort of historical elements, um, I said to them that like regardless of what your actual titles are, you can come up with whatever your titles are, you will be referred to as Pasha. I, I think I'm pronouncing that right? Uh or okay. Pasha, which is like a Turkish word for like military or um uh ruler, essentially. Okay. So okay. like because they're obviously not going to call these people like Yan yeah, Dinas as well, because that would be weird. Like they're not going to acknowledge that these other people are like a king or a queen or something like that. They just call them Pasha. Right.
0: Which is I, I guess like an honorific yeah. for like a head of state. Yeah,
1: um, essentially, essentially. That's right. Essentially. Okay. And um, well, when I printed out the maps for the Citadel, I saw that there were like six floors of it, and I was like, uh, "There is absolutely no way they are traipsing through six floors of this. Like, I'm I'm not doing that."
0: <laughs> okay, that implies so. Sorry, like like that implies to me though that um, the maps were not of your doing. So, do you want to like? Did you did you get them from somewhere? Is 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 there a resource we can plug?
1: Um Donjonbin.
0: Oh, okay, right. Okay, so you, you you generated them then?
1: Yeah, I generated them. And
0: I mean, yeah, we can do that again, sure. Hey, um donjon.bin, which does not sponsor us, but for all we mention it on the podcast, I mean the guy probably could. Uh, is a really, really great uh resource for pretty much anybody who might listen to our podcast. Like if you wanna like GM Dungeons and Dragons, or if you're just like writing um, high fantasy or something like that there are a whole lot of tools uh, the one that Maxie's referring to is presumably the dungeon creator which um, randomly generates uh, maps for dungeons and other like crawlable locations in a world and there are some stuff you can put in like you can decide whether you want there to be only one staircase or like lots of different exits and egresses and how many floors you want how big you want it to be how the rooms connect up and how closely together they're put together so like you could have very close together rooms for like being a castle or some other building or very far away ones if you want it to be like a sort of cave like subterranean complex uh and yeah also you can put in a seed i guess for like random generation so it's uh i don't really use it as much as i should because i sometimes find it difficult to like fit my vision as to what an environment should be like into what it spits out but if you just want a dungeon that you can run people through, and the dungeon is not really the important bit, but you've got to have something, uh, It's a that's a really good resource to have. Mm-hmm. Which I presume is why you used it, right, Maxine? Yeah,
1: pretty much. So I thought that, um, well, I'm probably going to have the actual meeting on a mid-floor of this, uh, this citadel, so to give the party, the first party, the option of going up or down to make their escape when the terrible event like begins to happen essentially around them and um whatever they chose i would like ensure that for the next scenario that would have like an effect essentially and the party chose to uh chose to ascend the tower so um immediately my decision was right the three floors the the ground second third floor they're gone they they sink into the earth they like crumble away essentially
0: Oh, okay that that's a cool idea actually um although you've intrigued me now when you started talking about like this uh, when the event starts happening because i'm immediately thinking of like like was this a red wedding kind of deal
1: yeah a little like, bit
0: <laughs> a little bit like like yeah i'm excited now so so all right so you got these this group of 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 rulers mm-hmm. uh together in a in a group like meeting the the new the new king i want going to say
1: yeah the uh like sultan at this point
0: and then what happens
1: and um well i'll just like quickly go through the the names of them that's okay all right cool okay so we had um and i'm just gonna call them pasha as well sure like anyone who is actually like turkish please correct me on my pronunciation of that or i don't know it's pasha or pasha but i'm just gonna just roll with what i can so, there was uh, Pasha Trast, who was played by Connor, and he was a half-orc paladin. Pasha okay. Chala, who was a dragonborn sorcerer, a silver dragonborn, uh, played by John Paul.
0: Wait, Chala? Yeah. As in, as in, like, King of Wakanda, Chala?
1: Uh, no, it's spelled completely different, and she was oh. female
0: as well. Oh, okay. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> uh, then there was Pasha Avi. Uh, who was a tiefling rogue played by Jonathan.
0: That's an unusual choice for a uh, head of state, a rogue.
1: Indeed it was. Um, I figured that, like, uh, and this is what Jonathan came up to me with, that um, she was kind of, like, formally part of, like, part of, like, this mafia sort of deal. Oh, okay. And I was like, what? It's fair, like, um, there, there are places in the world that will, like, uh, facilitate this, essentially.
0: That, I don't know if you, you use this for the pregen, but that's like, seems to me like the uh, the kind of scenario that you might find the um, Rogue Mastermind uh, class from the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide very useful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, like, I didn't have my Sword Coasts on me when I was, like, writing them all up. Uh, fair enough. Then there's, um... Pasha Olaf, who was a um, high elf. Cool. And, like, I, I liked that one a lot because, like, uh, my elves tend to have, like, um, a sort of Germanic and Slavic uh, lean to them.
0: Nice, nice.
1: And then um, there was Pasha Zenon, uh, who was a half-elf bard, played by Rachel.
0: And you can never go wrong with a half-elf bard.
1: No. And uh just so good. What what was good about like that was that um Xenon decided to be Olaf's son, essentially.
0: Oh, okay. That's cool.
1: And then finally there was Pasha Rand, who was a human barbarian, which like I honestly thought was like kind of a war chief sort of vibe.
0: It does sound like it, definitely. Uh and, and who played them?
1: Uh Steven. Cool, cool. And um Basically, they all gather in this meeting room, and there's a there's a scribe there that takes down their names, which is very important for when the bards show up. And, um, uh, Yandinus Radim begins this great speech and talks about, like, furthering their alliances with each other, and just as, like, he begins to start business, essentially, uh, everything goes wrong. The, uh, the the lamps darken, the, the um, tower begins to tremble, and he sends out two guards to investigate what's going on, and then the Pashas and the andinists and his brother and all those who are assembled there as well are sealed within this meeting room as the, um, the, the sandstone of the doors begin to like tendril across each other. And, like, trap them in what was supposed to be their final tomb, essentially. And they can hear the screams of the bodyguards outside as uh, blood begins to pour under the doorframe, essentially. And um, then they break themselves out. They they choose which way to break themselves out and begin an ascent up to the top floor to freedom.
0: I mean... I don't know that that's the choice I would have made, but okay, sure. They, they evidently had some sort of plan. Like you said there were like six floors.
1: Yeah, but I told you that um they were on the mid floor.
0: Yeah, but like you go up to the top, that's a long jump to freedom.
1: Oh, um, that was because there are griffins on the top uh, on like sort of this. Um, if you think about like a lighthouse and instead of a, a light, it's a small um, shed.
0: <laughs> right, and, 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 and I want to say, like, an aviary?
1: Yeah, yeah. And there are, like, um, just griffins there.
0: That <laughs> right, were... and presumably they knew about this? Like, they'd seen them coming in or something?
1: Um, well, they had the Yandinus with them who told them that, like, they kept griffins on the top floor, and but they could... Go. They could travel by like ground, essentially, because they don't know if the Griffins might be dead already. It was mm. like that was the gamble that they had to like uh, roll with. Okay. And um, I'm going to skip forward 300 years into the future for the actual um, Bard game, and they arrive at the the Jasmine Citadel. They've um, I've got an, actually an intro here of um, what I read out to them, if you're cool for me to read this out. It is the year 356 of the Thomerian Age, and we are 24 years into the reign of Gisu, Yandinus of the Perugian Empire and the youngest Orc monarch ever to rule, having ascended the throne at the tender age of 12. Yandinus Gisu is known to be an avid fan of art, song, and theatre, Often making generous donations to the local bards' colleges and encouraging a popular interest in the arts, these colleges are indeed grateful for her patronage. And one in particular has quite the surprise for her. You're all members of the Peruvian Bardic Academy, and you've been given an important task. And Dinaskisu's birthday is coming up, and as a surprise, your colleges decided to write an epic of an historical and undocumented event to for her pleasure at her party, and as luck would have it, the Academy has recently been granted permission to excavate the site of the Yasmin Citadel, a place that had been previously restricted to travel to given its possible dangers to the region, but these dangers may have been great importance worthy of commemorating into Song, so it's worth the risk. All you know is that the Yasmin Citadel had previously been the site of an important meeting 300 years ago, Headed by Yandainas Radim, the first Orcish king, who was almost assassinated during this meeting. It is up to you, bards, to discover what truly happened at the Citadel. And remember, your retelling of this story is what history will remember. So, what basically happened was that um, what happened at the Citadel was kind of covered up. Uh... No one really wants to know the details behind the possible assassination attempt of the first Orcish king in a nation that is still in its infancy. That is bad press, essentially. And what happened there was, like, brushed over. And so...
0: Can I, hmm? can I say... Yeah? I love this gimmick for an old bard game. <laughs> like, I, I, I really do. I love this, this. This idea that, like... You're gonna um do you you're gonna make like like an epic uh, a saga if you like to to perform at the end um based on what you discover like that that sounds like exactly this the kind of thing that I would have come up with for this this kind of of game um just because it's interesting it's it's like you have a reason to go and do the thing other than like kill dudes get loot right yeah and it means that you have like a lot more of a pliable a um. An adventure without having to like constantly think about what there is in there and and like that's again, despite the fact that there's the entire point of getting you on the show because of what you told me before, I feel bad about about comparing this to the the stuff that I've done previously, but it's it's the exact kind of thinking that I tried to go into each of the experiments with this idea of what what justification can we have for doing something different like it was it was exactly why I wanted to do the the and vault where you'd have the dungeon be designed by the first group. Because, that's cool, you've never done that before. You know, that's a weird thing to do. And, like, having this idea of, of oh, hey, the bards are going to go and they're going to do a dungeon crawl, but they're also going to, like, come up with a, a like, story about what happened here. Mm. Did they, like, get to perform it at the end?
1: They they didn't. We we ran out of time. Aww. But they did get to, like, go through everything. And they, they were such... Oh, my God, these players were amazing. They... They took notes. They were so enthusiastic. They got into the character roles as well to the point where it basically looked like um, Professor Snape leading the breakfast club.
0: <laughs> That's what I love about QCon as well is you have this whole like group of people and you can just say, hey, we're going to do this weird thing. And if they're down for like actually participating in your game in the first place, they're just like, yeah, okay, that sounds cool. And they they get into it. Like I remember... I think I said this on the the Hazard Bards about it, like last year I was really, really worried that like the the group who would, like the, the first group, the one who would actually design the dungeon would like get it intellectually, but find it too weird to really engage properly with the idea. And I remember being surprised that like they were not only like genuinely invested in the construction of this dungeon, but they even went so far as to have Architectural opinions in character about what should or shouldn't be included. Like I remember, I gave them the thing where it's like, here are seven things or whatever, and you have to have five of them. And I remember the like um, the barbarian making the argument for one of the ones that they exclude being the library, because he's just like, I don't, I don't need no book learning. <laughs> that's that's not a thing that we should we should have in our in our uh, our dungeon. I'm like, that's cool. It's cool. And and I I don't know if it's like. I don't know what it is exactly about Qcon. I feel like it's because like there's a lot of people who've never played the game before, so if they don't know what to expect, they just sort of like roll with whatever.
1: Mhm.
0: But also the I feel like the 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 like tabletop role playing at the con sort of has this microcosm of a reputation about being a place where you can try out weird shit like this. Yeah. So I just I just really love it when you you players get into your weird idea and just be like okay this is cool and we're gonna take it as seriously as we're taking the rest of the game so it's really great to hear that they actually like took notes for because presumably the idea is that because it's it's entertainment right the yeah thing they're coming up with you've got this this additional wrinkle of what they eventually come up with doesn't necessarily have to be true yes it just has to like be a cohesive story that is entertaining.
1: That was what I was most excited about, like, possibly happening, to see what they would come up with and how far from the truth it was going to be. That was the point of this experiment. How divergent of the actual Mm. event could they make this and how exciting it could be. And I was like, 100% success for this. It was amazing.
0: And you got, like, two levels on that as well, don't you? Because you have, like, the the Chinese Whispers type, um, I think Americans might know it as Telephone the you know the the game where you're like passing information down a line by by whispering and it gets garbled just because of like the the lossy like communication mm mm-hmm. you you which i presume was, like the the point of the of the game but you also have this fact that these people are role playing as bards and entertainers and you've always got this possibility that you know they find a fact that they that is of archaeological significance but like sort of screws up the story a bit And they just decide to take artistic license and change it. Yes. Yeah, this is a really cool idea. Thanks. Like, I'm super into it. So, all right.
1: So, I'll just, like, quickly go over the... the, the...
0: I'm I'm guessing also, like, the reason you're skipping forward to, like, the second game is because you want to do, like, a side-by-side thing about, like, what the first group did and then what got interpreted by the second group.
1: Yeah, that's exactly
0: what I wanted. That's a cool way of doing it. All right, go on.
1: Okay, so, um, for the, the second group, we had, uh, Seamus, who, prof- who played, uh, Professor Crump, and he was a half Orc bard of lore. Then we had Ashlyn, who played Torva, who was a half Elf, uh, ranger bard. Uh-huh. And I, I loved, um, Torva, because she, she kind of went with the whole, I'm a straight A student to Aesthetic and I suck up to the teachers as much as possible. Yes.
0: <laughs> I love this. It's so, it's weird, right? Because like normally when you put together a, um, like a group of randoms for a game, even at conventions, you've got this idea of they're all civil to each other, but because they don't know each other, they don't like really, I mean, occasionally um, what would happen with my games is that somebody who knew of me like knew me or knew of me uh like you or like uh my acquaintance i guess kiva would come and then like fill up the majority of the game with friends that they'd invited so you'd get that but like sometimes you would just get a group of people who had never met each other but really like clicked together in their different roles and were entirely comfortable like role-playing at a higher level where you have stuff like this you have like inter uh Party member um, interactions that make sense based on the relationship that those those party members canonically have in their backstory, and a lot of the time, normally like outside the the context of like a convention or whatever, when you put together a campaign or a, a one shot in particular with randoms in it, so like at a QUB Dragon Slayers, the uh, the organization, the society that does QCom, also does these twenty four hour weekend things, yeah, where. You can stay at, at the place for 24 hours. Generally speaking, nobody does that because you get tired and also smell. But it, it's an opportunity, basically, to have like an unbounded amount of time for a one-shot because nobody's going to actually take 24 hours to do a, a, a one-shot. That's that ridiculous. And we've, we've had a lot of fun with that sort of stretching of, of, of time. But often when you get randoms for that, a lot of them will be will be nervous, I think, because it's it's a club space right so it's like oh all of these people will know a lot more than me and i don't want to screw up and and they tend to be like like they get into it but they're they're timid and that doesn't really happen at qcon instead you've got like this group of people who all get in and none of them really know each other but they like all get that this is this is not usual this is a weird thing so they're just gonna go with it and so you get people figuring each other out and figuring out like okay Regardless of what we might otherwise think of each other, we can do this character interaction thing, and it's it's great. I love
1: it. And so uh, then we had Dave, who was a human fighter bard, uh, Mordui. Uh, oh, Dave was played by Mark. Mordui, who was a tiefling cleric bard, played by Edward. Um, okay. Professor Bart, who was a mountain dwarf bard of Valor, played by Steve, and Ella, who was a forest gnome rogue bard played by triana and like um props to ella as well because ella and torva played off each other incredibly well and i think it was because ella was a a rogue bard that they decided to sort of go into the 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 natural role of like uh hey i'm i'm only here for extra credit sort of thing and i'm gonna like uh pick on the um the one the most studious one of us all who's trying to suck up to the teachers and just be like right
0: so not 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 quite like a bully or a class clown but definitely somebody who's like i just want to mark at the end of this yeah like great against anybody who's actually taking it seriously
1: yeah this is what i'm talking about it's fantastic so that that that's my lineup and
0: I, i i apologize by the way for like like fanboying so much over this but like for context, for those of you who've like never really done a, um, like a role-playing game campaign or whatever with uh, a group of people who initially are randoms, obviously you get the idea that occasionally you get to know the people you play with frequently. This is the kind of thing that, generally speaking, takes weeks, maybe months, to get going. Like this idea of people being comfortable enough with each other's characters and their assessments of them to start developing like inter-character um relationships and enmities and whatnot so it is really cool to hear that like even though these characters i guess are cartoons effectively they're like larger than life in some respects yeah that that it's already these are our defined roles and i understand from pop culture how this role is supposed to go enough that i know what kind of relationship i'm supposed to have with each of these people and i'm prepared to like roleplay play it yeah like that's really cool
1: it, it really is actually <laughs> so um uh okay. the, the bards like i told them that okay we're just gonna get straight into it but for, like for background um you stayed in the town of yasmin which is about like a five to ten miles away because it's like it's like new Yasmin essentially it was built in the shadow of the Citadel no one really goes to the Citadel at all and so they hike up there and they get to the outside of this abandoned Citadel and like already I've like scratched off to uh, three of the floors of the Citadel which have just like sunken or um been destroyed essentially and I was asked about that like straight away like um have have they actually like sunken into the ground or have they like just, are they debris now? And I was like, um, have like basically, you can investigate that. And like, indeed, it had sunken into the ground.
0: Okay. See, I, I always wonder like, because it's a, it's a higher education establishment context, I always wonder when somebody asks something like that, it's like, oh, is one of these people like an archaeology, like geology type person who like knows... What the differences between those two effects on a, a an old building should be?
1: Yeah, I sometimes wonder I that like as get well. Really
0: nervous about like giving them an answer because it's like I know that they're gonna like pull me up on a technicality about one of the two, but I don't know like which it is.
1: So they get to go into the third floor as like the new ground floor essentially, and I was like, you don't need to make me investigation check. You just walk around the uh, walk around the building, and you can see that there are about three points of entry where you can all enter comfortably now it's, it's up to you which one you want to you want to try so um ella decided that she wanted to go through this old uh broken window like, Fair enough she goes in she finds a room full of uh statues and they're all just like broken and in various sort of um disrepair and originally in the first game but the first group never interacted with them. They were alive. Those statues had been. And okay. they, that was going to be combat for them, but they decided to, like, um, bypass that room, essentially. Okay. And um, Ella checks out uh, the room and uh, finds two doors uh, and tries the one on her right. Goes in and it's not locked or anything finds a room full of plant life, essentially. Um Marshy plant life. Uh, there's moss and fungus everywhere. And, like, um immediately is making checks, nature checks, to see if, like, these are spores, and, like, if they're poisonous in any way. Which was a sensible thing to do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was a good idea. Yeah, I was like, um, yeah, it could be. And, um, Thankfully none none of them were. And then um the rest of the group climb through the window and like uh, come in to, to assist her essentially. And Professor Crump and Torva decide to investigate the mushrooms more closely and even collect some. Now uh they Professor Crump got like quite a high roll and was able to like discern that um some of these mushrooms are in fact edible. So he was like, Okay, we'll we'll harvest a couple. And uh, Torva does an investigate um, on the mushrooms and notices something quite odd. That um, as Professor Crump is harvesting and uh, cutting some mushrooms away, um, she can see some stalks of previously harvested mushrooms here and there. And so instantly they are suspicious. And someone has been here before us and someone is cultivating these.
0: Okay, that's cool.
1: Yeah, because I, of course, I wanted them to, like, find out what this epic was, but I also wanted them to have their own sort of combat thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So here's a question, um, and this might be, like, asking slightly too much of your already amazing, like, intra-party dynamics, but did either of the two, like, full bard characters, like, have this thing where they were, like, um, obviously with a, the, the, like, members of staff here we're the responsible adults um so like it's kind of our responsibility to make sure that none of these uh other like multi-class characters get killed or whatever
1: yeah um there were some actually quite good interactions between professor bart and professor crump namely that um professor crump in a brilliant moment of wisdom and i say that incredibly sarcastically Decided to calm down a situation with Ella by casting friends on her, which right, was like okay. not not great. And then um, I'm
0: pretty sure that probably violates like educational board of ethics type stuff. Exactly,
1: exactly. And this is this is where I'm going with this, Alex, because then immediately Professor Bart just just out of straight out of nowhere, it was fantastic. Just went um like we've had you in front of the disciplinary committee three times for this, you know. <laughs>
0: and it was so good right okay so these are maybe like not the best responsible adults to have on hand no
1: no i feel like this is professor crump's redemption arc Mm.
0: i mean he's probably tenured
1: it was so so good i love that moment and a part of me really, really wanted a moment that when combat actually started, I, I sort of wish one of the uh, the students would have a second where they were just like, ah, I'm only doing extra credit. I'm not cut out for this. <laughs> but sadly, I did not. They were all just like went straight into fighting. <laughs> anyway, um, so there's like, aside from the statue room, there's one other way out, which is like covered in lichen and, and moss and stuff like that. So it takes them a little bit of time to find the doorknob that's just overgrown. And they push themselves into this room. And they find a room, which they immediately suspect is quite odd because it looks perfect. Like, it looks as though it's been preserved in time, almost. And they find evidence there of... Um, uh, There's, like, a table... And fireplace with like still embers in the fireplace, but and uh, it was like dusted recently and uh, crumbs on the floor and whatnot. And what what they basically figured that was like someone was perhaps like um, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Living li- not living here, just like um, I- illegally living here possibly.
0: Mm. Well, um, I guess illegally in that they'd be like trespassing on a protected. Site, yeah. They, All right. They,
1: they were like they they were they were quite weird about like the condition of the room, which like was the response that I really wanted from them because um mm. they were just looking around. It's like this doesn't seem to have the same state of decay as anywhere else in this place, and it looks like someone has actually been here recently, which was the whole point of that one. Mm. So uh, then they find the stairs. And, well, rather, they find the room where the stairs are, and they don't decide to go up the stairs immediately because they see that there are, like, four other doors, essentially. It's, like, a cross-section where mm-hmm. the stairs are in the middle of this cross-section, so, like, cr- cross-section corridors. And uh Ella decides that she wants to uh, go straight across to open one of the doors of this cross-section. So she walks immediately past the stairs opens the door and finds a room just overgrown with brambles and like a um uh caved inside of the the wall where the brambles have grown through and whatnot and it's just like oh okay like there's nothing really of any substance here but then is all of a sudden beset upon by um children of the brambles is was the monsters that I lifted from the Tome of Beasts by Kobal Press. Okay. And so they were attacked by like these horrible little creatures that looked like um, animate brambles and they had combat. And uh, when when that combat was over they decided, like, let's not open any more doors on this floor and let's just go upstairs. And I was like, brilliant, okay. And my, my biggest worry was that they would try and go just immediately to the top floor. I I factored that in, and I was like, I hope they don't. But okay, thankfully, okay. thankfully for me, they they were deciding to go al- along the lines of like, no, we we are an investigatory party. We're like, um, we're looking around, so we'll just go to. We
0: need a beginning, a middle, and an end. So yeah. we can't just skip straight to the end.
1: So we're gonna we're gonna go to the fourth floor, and I was like, okay, great. And once again, they have, there's, like, four doors for them to choose from on the staircase of the fourth floor. And they entered the best room that they could possibly have gone into, which was the meeting room itself. Okay. And I was so pleased by this. And so they go in, and they find just, like, the large round table, and um, they see this le- uh, lectern there. And this book, like, clipped into the uh, the lectern. And um, they. It's had some, like, damage in the past, and they, like, brush away all the dust and uh, have a look at it. It's written in orcish, and this is how they find out all the names of those in attendance. So. And the scribe specifically states that, um. Uh, what, what exactly happens? That, um, the, the room darkened, the, the tower tremored, as I said earlier, the bodyguards were killed outside the door, then, and that strange voice had echoed through the chamber, telling them that they would not escape the citadel alive, and that, um, it's, and like how pleased the voice was that all these leaders were gathered in one place that can be eliminated in one fell swoop swoop, and that will just, it was like, they didn't actually find out what all that was about, but um, based on, uh, based on what the voice was talking about, they were clearly an extreme anarchist.
0: Okay. Right. So this isn't just like, like some um, like uh, warmongering empire builder who's like, Oh, I can just get rid of the heads of state of all of my enemies at once and then take him over this was like somebody opposed to the idea of heads of state to begin with
1: yes that's exactly it but like um they were reading over the uh the, the scribes uh final notes on the matter and um they saw that th- this is what i found like quite quite cool and quite interesting They they asked me are there any other people in attendance other than the, uh, the specific six pashas, which I only made important to them as being distinct from the rest of the heads of state that have been there, because the scribe explicitly puts that these six were the ones that like were capable fighters, okay. and they were the ones that then took the lead in making sure that everyone would get out and then the scribe would finish on the lection that, I hope we make it out of here alive... Okay, and like obviously couldn't unclip the book in time.
0: That's a dedicated scribe to like keep recording when everything is going to shit.
1: Yeah, and um, I was like, yeah, there were other people in attendance. There was um, Yandinus Radam's own older brother Rockfar, who was there, and the leader of the Yuanti people, uh, Caliph Analest, and her bodyguard Domet. And um, U-M-T,
0: as in like the half snake people,
1: yeah, who are like okay. written entirely differently in my world, because i don't i I guess it's the same reason as why you don't like drow. I mm. do not like these explicitly far east inspired um race of people who are all universally evil and expansionist.
0: Yeah, and don't even get to actually be, like, a playable race, but are rather exclusively monsters. It's it's kind of gross.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't like it, and so I changed up how it was even supposed to go, essentially.
0: I'm doing some, like, creative expansion into the Pajao Forest territory in my world, and I might do something with you, Auntie. Awesome. I'm not sure yet. All right, anyway, go on.
1: So, um, the scribe, um... Basically, like, took down obviously the names before the meeting came into full effect of who else was there, which immediately caused the uh, the bards to become very very suspicious because like um they they knew their orcish history of course and they knew that um it was somewhat odd that um, Rukvar was passed over to inherit the the throne as the the older brother essentially. Mm-hmm and like they they kept wondering like do you think this was like an internalized coup against his own brother that when this all went wrong for him he like he obviously like had outside help so that he didn't have to implicate himself uh as the villain here and um they were also like uh what's our what's our current stance on like um the anti uh, people in this world essentially like um I was like, well, some of them have actually been integrated into the uh, Peruvian Empire, and like, uh, there's like still three Uanti kingdoms like elsewhere and whatnot. And they're just like, do you think the Uanti might have something? to and It was fantastic. They were just all discussing like, uh, what if this was like the one of the guests? Like, mm. yeah, what, what if the one of the guests decided to create this this coup, essentially?
0: I mean, no, I'm interested as well because I have theories. <laughs>
1: I'd love to hear your theories at the end of it mm. so um in this in this particular meeting room, they see that there's uh one door which is broken open, just completely shattered, and there's like this dark red muddied old blood stain like on the floor that's lasted for three hundred years, and just bone dust around that. And there's another door, uh, where they can see that these tendrils of sandstone have, um, hardened across the frame of the door, preventing anyone from, like, getting in or out, essentially. Okay. And, uh, so obviously they decide to investigate where the open door is. And because to them it was like, very, very obvious that um, they had also escaped through this and they'd like probably smashed their way through. So okay. they go in, they see the bloodstain on the floor and they find this scorched circle in the next room and uh, a door open uh, opposite them into a room that they investigate a bit later. So their first call of action is to like figure out what happened here. And th- what I quite like is... Um, yeah, how how wrong they were here. <laughs> Where, um, they looked at the bloodstains on the floor and they looked at the broken door and the scorched circle on the ground and they said, Okay, what we think happened is that the Pashas uh broke out of um broke out of the meeting room and that someone had been standing behind the door that they accidentally killed. <laughs> they just completely crushed this person.
0: An interesting
1: theory. Yeah, and that a fight had broken out and um, that uh, the scorched circle was like perhaps the responsibility of someone who could essentially use magic. Okay. And um, what what actually happened was, like as I've already stipulated, the bodyguards had been killed outside the door, and uh, when they broke through into this other room, they found the corpses of the bodyguards and it was that that like they had no interaction with what happened to them and uh when they went into the room the scorched circle was actually an attempt by this strange disembodied voice to abduct the yan dynast radim hmm. as like um tendril dark tendrils began to like seep up from the floorboards and abduct him which Then Pasha Chella, the dragonborn, uh, immediately, like, uh, counterspelled, like, just jumped in and was just like, nope, denied, and rolled incredibly high for that. And, um, so, like, I was like, okay, you've averted the abduction of, um, the Andinist. And, um, I I was sort of hoping that he did get taken. (laughs) I'm not gonna lie. And then, um moves on to the next room which they find the the door open to and they find a room full of um glass like not broken glass like the floor itself looks as though it was once melted glass that had now hardened and they see um in some places there are like peaks and valleys of it that look really really sharp and they see a tapestry had been ripped off the walls in the previous room and thrown onto the floor of this um this glass that had like um over time essentially like slightly burned the tapestries and like absorbed them to uh put across to another another door on the other side which was also open so right
0: so it was a kind of bridge yeah
1: the uh the previous
0: uh right i i have like like can I make a guess as to what happened here then from your description and we'll see like how close, n- not only how close the bars got, but what was the actual correct answer? Okay then, sure. So the glass is the end result of some chemical process involving extreme heat, uh, like whether that might be like lava or just like actual molten sand or other minerals or whatever. So the it was probably magical which means that the tapestry was basically an attempt to make a sort of, um, like, bridge. And I guess if a tapestry worked, then it probably wouldn't have been that deep. It was more just like a, the floor is, like, covered in, in molten glass type thing. And now when they found it, that's, like, cooled down and it's just, like, a glassy floor.
1: Yeah, you're, you're spot on, and as were the bards as well. And, um, well, the floor itself was made of sandstone. So it was like indeed extremely heated up to uh, like reduce it to glass essentially.
0: All oh, right, so it's not even like anything is actually on the floor; it's just the floor got really hot.
1: Yeah, the floor turned to actual glass, like the top layer of this sandstone, and um, they they tried to like throw tapestries across, and I'm like that this this is gonna burn the tapestries essentially, guys, and so. Um, What the, what the group, the bard group actually picked on quite well was the fact that, uh, they asked me, did the, did the lection stipulate what, uh, colour the dragonborn pasha was? And I was like, silver. He's like, oh, okay. So they were immediately like, I think that having failed to get these tapestries, uh, there's like a safe bridge across to the other room, the pasha chala, might have hmm. used her ice breath to then freeze all this molten glass and i'm like that is a... i like didn't tell them that that was what happened and i'm like there's a possibility but that did actually happen Alrighty. she 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 cast well she didn't use her breath she used ray of frost because they were just realizing that the tapestries were an inefficient method of getting people across
0: as they would be like that's kind of a stupid idea yeah which is why i was like oh surely this must be a uh a... Like a, a magical thing, or the tapestries must be magical, or something. It was, no, it's just actually a dumb idea.
1: Yeah, it was. It was just a dumb idea. I was like, yeah, that th- these are melting. Th- this, this is not going to work out. And not everyone. It's not going to be the evacuation plan that you thought it was. And then Chella was just like, I'm going to cast rare R- Frost and cool this all down.
0: All right, cool.
1: So then they got into the. Um, they decided to double back, which I thought was like quite surprising. So they, they didn't carry on into the next room at all. Like, they didn't find anything like particularly noteworthy into the next room. They doubled back and they went up to the, uh, the sealed door, the one that still had its sandstone tendrils, like wrapped across the front of it, preventing anyone access, and decided with, to cast shatter on it. Okay, Which, which was great. Um, I think Yeah, Professor Grump uh, shattered the door. And uh, they went in, and they found just all of these uh, corpses, essentially, of um, that had almost been reduced to bone meal by this point, but hmm. you could still tell from, like, uh, their armor was still in place and whatnot. And they looked around these corpses, and they realized that these must have been the entourages and the bodyguards of the Pashas who had been invited. And okay. they decided to, like, what. Well, What do you think happened to to these people, essentially? And um, I remember when we went to the uh, Dwarf Lord Mountains in your game, Alex, and we could tell based on the skeletal remains of the dwarves that they had died locked in combat with one another. Mm. And so in this case, it was just like they died where they stood. Like, um, it's pretty obvious that none of them turned on one another or anything like that and they they just went amongst the dead and were just like look uh, doing investigation roles on sigils that they were wearing on their um uh, on their armor and on their bodies and shields and stuff like that to see who they were affiliated with
0: oh man actual archaeologist stuff yeah
1: great yeah it was it was fantastic and i was like cuz i was
0: initially like skeptical because i was like surely if you're going to be following the pashas you don't want to be like breaking open routes they didn't take but that's like a really good idea actually to yeah to try and get like a better idea of of what was going on
1: i was like that that, that's fantastic and um they they found that like um it was like are any of these uh the sigil of the perugian empire and i'm like you find something similar because it wasn't the perugian empire back then it was just the nation of perugia So, you find, like, and they're like, oh, okay, so we find what the sigil originally was about 300 years ago? And they were like, yeah, yeah, pretty much like, oh, that's awesome. And they just found, like, other uh, sigils from, like, um, the, the Umanti people and, like, um, uh, the High Elves who were in attendance, essentially. And, um, they decided that they would go into another door that had been closed, uh, that was also in that room. And I was like, okay, uh, I'll, I'll let this, I'll let them do this. So uh, they open this door, and they find a room full of void, just completely full of void. It was, like, grey void. And okay. they started, like, throwing mushrooms into it to see where they went.
0: And Have, like, a miscellaneous item on you that's generally, like, what to do.
1: Yeah, just, like, trying to see if they could get anything to happen here. And I was like, um... Uh, don't hear anything from and it doesn't come back and um they they continue this experimentation like in a few floors up because the point of the void rooms which there were a few of them that they uh figured out later was that they would transport you to a different room in the citadel on a different floor essentially as like additional fuckery
0: What would have happened to the bards had they gone into a void that would transport you to a room that no longer existed because, like, the bottom three floors were destroyed?
1: That would have been interesting, wouldn't it? I would have Mm. had to have rolled for that one. And um, they decided that 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 was enough uh, exploration on the fourth floor, and so they decided to send the staircase onto the fifth floor. (laughs) And they went into a room that the Pashas had no interaction with, that they found was like full of all these crystals. Like, um... actual cave crystals, essentially, that they found quite weird. And, um... they were attacked while there by this, um... I say it was like a gelatinous ooze, but I didn't want it to be a gelatinous ooze. My deal was with... it was homebrewed. I wanted it to create um crystals all right i I wanted that to be its deal and um when i originally created that creature for the pashas to have interacted with i kind of wanted like um either them or any of the npcs to have gotten caught and uh as a result of that begin to crystallize which okay um would have been uh good because I came up with like this whole list of um means of how I would preserve evidence essentially for the next party. And one of them was right, like okay. one of them was crystallization. I thought like that would be a-, a cool thing to do. Like or maybe if they dropped an item here and this this ooze like thing, like um, smeared itself over it, and in, in its many travels in this room, and it crystallized over time, essentially. Mm. And so they they fought this, and they they were having a look at the room, and they're like, uh, we don't we don't think anyone was here. Um, so they tried. They went back to the staircase, and they tried a the only other room that they could, where they found a pillar that had been knocked down and uh, a. B- Dark bloodstain on the floor, and, um, I was like, make me an investigation check. I was like, okay. And I was like, you've noticed that this pillar has actually, like, was actually moved? Like, it doesn't make sense where it's now lying to suggest that, um, you think it was, like, more towards the middle of where this bloodstain was. So that then they just immediately clicked on as, like, someone was trapped under here. And they must have lifted the pillar to get them out. And then, like, that just caused another sort of, like, theories being bu- uh, bounced around of, like, was it one of the pashas? Was it, like, an, uh, maybe the Andinus himself got, like, trapped? And, uh, they were just taking notes about this. And then, um all of us, a- this entire time, I'm, I'm rolling dice because they keep going to and fro on the, uh, the, the staircase, essentially. Which have fallen into a considerable amount of disrepair. And I was like, you have to move half your movement speed up the staircases. Otherwise, it's a long way down. And, um... All of a sudden, I think... Ella. Yes, Ella. Was able to succeed her perception check. She could hear something going on on the staircase above. Like, what sounded like an altercation. And so, she decided to, um... Someone, um, Torva, I think, as the ranger cast pass without a trace on everyone, okay. and Ella went up the staircase to to find out what might have what what was going on, like to see if they weren't alone, essentially. And I, I kind of like was inspired a little bit by Dark Souls for this one.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of like very Dark Souls esque stuff that I'm seeing here, like particularly when you were talking about the uh, the crystallizing ooze yeah i was thinking of um you know in uh dark souls 1 where the basilisks can petrify you and sometimes you'll see like the petrification statues from other people who've been like recently killed by that
1: yes yeah yeah uh that was actually okay i get it that was actually one of the preservation methods that i had written down like i have to
0: petrified
1: yeah like possibly petrification and stuff like that Um, I just, I had so much. I had fossilization and, um, burning earth where, like, um, you know when you touch something hot and the handprint still remains? Yeah. That, like, that sort of stuff. I I wanted evidence like that to still exist so that there would be enough conclusive evidence for them to find,
0: but... You put a lot of thought into, like, how this might be figured out archaeologically without having to just feed everything to the players. Yeah.
1: I mean, I I did my best with what I got. So, right. anyway, uh, Ella goes up the staircase and sees this spectral image of a, um, a, a tiefling woman running down the staircase and, like, straight through her as though she's not even there and disappearing at the bottom of the staircase and then is really confused by this and no less than two minutes later... She hears at the top of the staircase an argument begin uh started off by a a loud slap uh essentially and so Ella goes up the staircase and sees what this is all about and sees uh a tiefling a half elf and a high elf um having an altercation where the tiefling slaps the half elf across the face and they're all dressed in finery so like these are obviously all the pashas Or free of the pashas, and the tiefling slaps the half elf across the face and um, tells them that they are being like um, selfish and evil and cruel, and that there are other people to like be concerned about. So get their arse downstairs and save this poor dying man. And then the uh, half elf reacts by putting his, his hand on his sword and starts advancing on the tiefling, and she sprints down the staircase as fast as she can. And uh, so, like, this memory essentially captured by...
0: Yay, hey, memory ghosts!
1: Yeah! This moment in time just keeps replaying and replaying, and um, they're, they're just trying to, like, interpret what what happened here. It's like, it's like, obviously this has to do with, like, what happened with the pillar and whatnot and then it just it went on into like them thinking like did the pashas actually end up killing each other like did did they did this cause like this a massive rift in them because like that presumably none of them really knew each other or had any alliances with each other so of course they might have turned against one another
0: i feel like historically that's the kind of thing that you'd know at least if they managed to get out at the end mm you'd know that, like, no, they didn't, because they all got home. So this is intriguing. Yeah. Continue.
1: They were just, like, um, very just confused by this and, like, trying to, like, figure out what, what, what might have happened. And um, they decided from that moment on just to go upstairs onto the final floor. And um the final floor, they find four rooms uh, leading from the staircase on all four sides that they decide to investigate each of them. And in one room, they find nothing but void in it, which they interact with later on, which I'll talk to. In another room, they find that the ceiling has been broken through, like uh, as though someone inside the room had like smashed their way through the ceiling. And with something obviously incredibly hot, because the, um, the way that the impact essentially looks with it blasted out has caused the sandstone to turn to glass in places. And even now, there are, like, just scorch marks all across the ceiling, essentially. Just weird scorch marks. And one of the other rooms, they find that the, um, the floor has just been churned up as though uh, it's stone. It's it's normal stone, but it's been churned in a way that, like, it would, as though it would have was once, like, the sea at some point. And they mm. find a rod stuck in the middle of it, which they, they check the floor to make sure it's not, like, um, quicksand, essentially. And mm. it, it's solid. They go up to the rod, and they find it's an immovable rod, which had been, like, slammed into the uh into the floor and uh, has obviously just like been held there and then in the final room uh they find that the floor just does not exist it is like just completely collapsed true and it's a long way down essentially and okay. they're they're just they're looking around trying to like figure out what's what's going mm-hmm. on here and do, do you wanna do you want have a guess
0: oh so to like like the the final what what was actually going on?
1: Yeah, like uh... I, I
0: I have I have a theory, a pet theory, which is probably wrong. But my theory is that the reason that the Yan Dynast's brother was passed over for the throne is because he was a radical anarchist and like he planned this entire thing to like have some anarchist group that he presumably had connections with that his mother could see, but his brother did not to like just. Come in and, and and murder all the pashas whilst like somehow extricating him.
1: That's good. That's that's so good because like that is actually what the uh the board group went away thinking. Essentially, they they were like hmm. actually determined to completely like I say vilify the 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 older brother because they were like we're pretty sure he's at fault here, hmm. and um they were just trying to figure out like well they obviously figured out how to uh how the pashas got out of here essentially like uh they
0: oh did 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 they make it to the to the griffins
1: yeah like um ella was pushed through the hole in the ceiling and then like walks up uh like climbs uh across this uh this rooftop that she needed to make quite a few dex checks essentially because like it's quite crumbly and uh Mm. dangerous and just finds like um this pad this griffin paddock full of um old feathers and straw that, like, lingered there, essentially, and te-
0: Right, but, but no griffin's gardens.
1: No, no griffin's, and then, like, she found the last piece of the puzzle, which was, like, a whilst at the highest peak of the citadel, looking down, uh, she could see on one side, in the far distance, about ten miles away, was the, the, the new village of Yasmin, essentially. Then on the other side, she- saw this large sphere, massive sphere of black uh, marble, essentially, that had been, yeah. like, uh, that had fallen, crashed down onto the ground, uh, with, like, suggestion that it just impacted, with a massive hole through the centre of it, and that, it, over time, had had, like, trees and stuff growing over the top of it, so it was, like, uh, it was still noticeable, but only from, like, the height that uh, Ella was at. Oh if, right, you, right. if you'd if you have been walking around there, you probably would have had no idea that you were, like, walking on this massive sphere, essentially, just because of how overgrown um, all the, the 300 years worth of wildlife had become on top of that,
0: Alright, cool.
1: And so they were just like, um, whatever that thing is... um, we think that it was like used as a means of preventing the pashas from escaping, and they must have had like somehow like knocked it out of orbit. Essentially, they they, they must have somehow uh, either escaped from it or just destroyed it, taking it out. And mm.
0: um... which is great because one of the pashas used to bullseye womp rats in his T sixteen in Beggars Canyon, right?
1: <laughs> yes, this this is what happened. <laughs> and uh we were running out of time at this point so they were just taking all these notes down for me of like okay this is what we think happened this is what was going on and of course they stole the the immovable rod from the floor because like it's a fucking
0: immovable rod right
1: (laughs) yeah Yeah, of, of course they like spent time breaking that out of there and then they decided to like we should interact with that room of void on the top floor so they um I can't remember what they did. They they tied either um I think yeah they tied a mushroom to the end of a stick and shoved the stick into the uh the void room and pulled it back out and we're just like is the mushroom okay? I'm like it looks fine to you. So then Professor Crump decided in his as I as I said, I said again infinite wisdom to stick his head into the void room. Yeah, just his head. And then I say to him that, like, you see these, uh, a room, which is, like, uh, dingy and overgrown with, uh, a bit waterlogged and overgrown with lichen. And you see two figures, uh, trying to keep this spluttering campfire alight who look up to you. And, uh, they look like satyrs, except instead of, um, instead of, Goat legs. They had legs of uh grasshoppers, and mm. they look at you with beady black eyes and grin at you with sharp fanged teeth. And I go, "Well, what have we here, boys? A new plaything." And then uh, that was like gonna be like the final fight, essentially the final confrontation. Is like the uh these the book that I. Uh, took the inspiration from, called them the Selang, okay, and um, they were they were supposed to fight these uh, uh these creatures, and g- they went into the void room after that after these uh, uh individuals were dealt with, and they found um a notebook in the void room, and they they look into the notebook and they find that these this is a scouting party who had been hiding here part of a greater invasion force uh, of the Selang, and they were basically um, checking out the area so that they can destroy the Perugian Empire. And I was like, that was going to be their... uh, That was going to be, like, what the bards got to fight for themselves, what they got to discover for themselves to, like, make them their own heroes, aside from just uh, documenting um, an epic. Okay. And... uh, hopefully they would like take that notebook back with them when they returned to um uh, the capital and mm-hmm. since they were going to be performing at Dan uh, Gisu's party this this epic it would be um sensible if that that notebook got into her hands or the hands of those that could be prepared to muster uh, a defense and um okay. that was that was the scenario that i ran and uh, it was so much work.
0: Yeah, the, they tend to be like these like multi part scenarios, but I I definitely find that they're 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 worth it. Mm. Um, man, the garden party was so much work. <laughs> it was so difficult, but it was it was so good. And it, and it it does sound like this was great. Um, you mentioned that my theory was very similar to the theory that the uh that the the bards got, but I suppose now is your chance to like to like let us know after the fact. Like, were either of us correct?
1: um well yeah because uh rockbar wasn't actually responsible for this at all
0: right that's that. that's like you were implying that like because i think you would probably just have said that yeah you got it correct and also the bards got it correct if we if either of us were actually right yeah so i was like okay well i don't know like w- was it just like enemies of the state kind of thing was it like not actually not <laughs> it's not that deep and and you were just like letting it be very simple so that whatever theory came out from the, the bards would be interesting? Uh,
1: essentially, because like I didn't want to have too much of my, um, my own lore in there.
0: Right, because that makes it slightly more difficult. You, you definitely... Go, this is the thing, right? That's why I think both of us went for um, Rotvar as the culprit, because he's an introduced element. Yeah. It's like he's he's in the setup for the actual like initial scenario and indeed for the um, secondary one.
1: Yeah, and in the first scenario, like the Pashas treated him with a great deal of suspicion as well because <clears throat> like they'd heard about like him being passed over for the throne obviously and he was there and he's acting as an advisor for his younger brother essentially and he's kind right. of keeping to himself the entire time <clears throat> and they just like what is he doing here? Like, what's his deal? Like, there's no way he's okay with not inheriting the throne, essentially. And none of them trusted Rokvar at all.
0: And the way that you made it sound as well was that, like, um, their mother was was this, like, very, like, great and wise ruler. So it totally makes sense that she would have seen some unsuitability in in Rokvar that his brother would not have done.
1: That is actually true there there's like um this whole greater reason behind like how the prussian empire essentially governs and mm. um how the next gen dynasty is chosen and um radim was the better of the two essentially he he was the one who would have been what was what the people needed at the time because rokva does eventually rule after Radim dies, like many years in the future, but he only rules for seven years.
0: Right. So it's like Rotvar was actually fine, but Radim just like knew the business better.
1: Right? Yeah, essentially. Like, uh, Radim. So what
0: you're saying is Rotvar is Shane McMahon.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is what I'm saying.
0: Mm. All right. So uh, neither, neither of us got it then, but but that's cool. That is that that is really interesting. And I, I, I it's great to hear that you're your um groups like got into it so well i love hearing stories like that Mm. um definitely like i remember saying as well like last year um the time where i i I, like even though i was not a volunteer um one of my close friends was and i was like i'll i'll help like tidy up because obviously you need some help and just going around and listening to other people who had done cool stuff yeah yeah like how 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 well it had gone off like i think i remember telling the story about the guy who did um Call of Cthulhu but it's Dad's Army Yeah, and he had like like um, aesthetic props and stuff and I'm like this is a really cool idea and I'm so glad to hear your story that it went off really well.
1: There was like a um, a Cthulhu game going on this time that I was so interested in playing but I decided to um, do something new for myself because I always make myself a promise that I would try a new system.
0: It's a, it's a good place to do that.
1: And so I, I, I went for Shadowrun this year
0: Shadowrun's cool. I don't think I've ever actually played the tabletop version of Shadowrun.
1: It it, it was alright. I was a rigger, so like I didn't really need to do a lot, and I could like um not hold back the rest of the group essentially. But I had like um enough role playability that I was still quite useful. Uh, but at the same time as the Shadowrun game was going on, they were doing a Call of Cthulhu Swallows and Amazons game that.
0: Well shit so it, it's Call of Cthulhu But all of the investigators Are like Kid. adventurer kids Yeah That's so cool
1: And I was like I, I really wanted, I really wish I could have been in that game Because like they, they wanted to do A Swallows and Amazons Famous Five sort of vibe And I was like Oh
0: yeah that's so cool I'd like, love that Having like these These like Investigatory ch- Like Famous Five is exactly the kind of thing I was, I was thinking of Like having these these Mystery solving children uncovering like an eldritch horror or something and then having to deal with that that's such a cool idea yeah i love that did did you like ask them afterwards how it went um
1: i, I didn't get a chance to actually
0: oh that, that's that's a pity i i probably like should try and find out who did it because that sounds that sounds amazing
1: um i think casper no no casper didn't do it uh because casper was running the i i'll probably like send it to you uh after this uh, is all done right It it was Like, a game that I was definitely really interested in. Yeah,
0: that's such a neat idea. I love this. I love that, like, QCon... I imagine this happens at other, like, conventions, at least at ones that arise from a similar context. But I love that people just come up with these, like, weird, quirky ideas where there's, like, there's no reason why they shouldn't work, but maybe they work just for, like, two or three sessions at a convention rather than as, like, an extended campaign. Mm Mm-hmm. No, that's that's so neat. All right, um... So since Beth's not here to ask this question, I should probably ask, um, what did you learn this QCon? Because I think it's kind of traditional for us to ask this question now.
1: Well, um, I feel like I learned that um, people will genuinely be more interested to like jump on the bandwagon of a weird idea (laughs) that like it was an idea that I didn't have a lot of like i was very confident with how i was going to pull it off but i also was like incredibly worried about like it being received well
0: i can see that yeah um i think i don't want to say that's a qcon exclusive thing but i think like definitely that sort of environment where there's this sort of social context about how like where everybody is coming from helps especially for like new players because then you can be like oh well we're doing a weird thing that these people won't really have done before anyway so you're not going to be like super behind whereas i think for more entrenched stuff like the 24s or a, a normal um tuesday night uh, at dragon slayers or whatever your uh gaming club is that can be a little harder to believe because even then it's like these people presumably know each other so they might have like a standard for how weird stuff is done. And I don't really know about that sort of thing. Whereas at a convention, like you don't think about that stuff, especially because of the way that game signups are done, because it's like, you have no reason to believe that these people know each other well and have played with each other for like years. Yeah. Be- because it's, it's first come first serve signups for the games. So it's entirely possible that somebody who's like really into a particular DM would have signed up for their game, but it doesn't—it doesn't mean anything. So you can come in and be like, "Oh, even if I don't know, I'm gonna have fun and I'm gonna try this thing out and see if I like it." And it's cool if you don't. Like, genuinely, I would say if there's if there is like a a uh, and and I would say like I wouldn't just say this for QCon because obviously that means that this is only like a Northern Irish maybe irish thing to say i would say any kind of convention that is set up that way as like a gaming convention set up by like a group like a, a gaming group like dragons like a society or a club or something just if there's a game that you've really wanted to get into but you're not you 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 have some trepidation about it particularly if it's a tabletop role-playing game, go and see if anybody is doing it. Like, tabletop role-playing, uh, wargaming, um, Magic the Gathering as well, you will probably, at these kinds of conventions, find somebody willing to teach you and who will have either a second deck or is willing to do the thing where they split their constructed deck in two to, like, just teach you the ropes, something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's fine. It's it's, it's good. Um, I, I, I love that QCon can continue doing this year after year Is just, like, show people not only hey this is how you play uh Dungeons and Dragons or Call of Cthulhu or Traveler or Pathfinder or goodness knows what but you can also have fun with this idea
1: yeah and I was like just really happy that everything went off um great essentially I was like uh the group complimented me afterwards and said that um they'd had a a bad time the the day before with RPGs and that like mine had more than made up for their entire weekend at QCon, which that's I thought was deep. like that's that's really nice. I'm I'm glad that they were like it was really obvious that you put so much hard work into this, and we just appreciate it. And even the previous um two people of the previous group came up to me afterwards to ask me how it went because they were really really excited to uh know if uh this this new group had figured anything out that they had done. <clears throat>
0: I think I remember that like when I did the garden party there were a couple of people from the first or second group who came up to ask like how the timeline had changed based on the actions of the third group because they were interested in seeing like what did we do that like stayed in and what did we do that got like prevented. A part of me always uh,
1: worried that like if Cora the Bard had shown up to you and you had to like then tell her, Sorry, uh my friend Maxie just completely removed your character from play.
0: I feel like had I described the way you'd done it, she would have found it really funny. But no, it, it's 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 good. And and that thing where you said that the, the second group had had a bad experience before, I would say also, like, if you end up going to a convention like this and you have, like, if there's multiple days or, like, you have a thing in the morning and a thing in the afternoon or whatever, like, go and do as much stuff as you can, because sometimes it doesn't quite go off the way you or the gm wants and that doesn't mean that that's the way it's always going to be like try more than one thing definitely like maybe you had one bad experience and you're like i don't really want to like go through and do that again do something in a different system and with a different gm than the thing that you did before assuming that your like your convention does different systems and has more than one um, gm soliciting players and sometimes just sign up for the wacky idea if you did if you did a standard thing sign up for the wacky idea if you did a wacky idea and it didn't really work out maybe sign up for like a, a more traditional type of, of, of game like try and get like a, a broad scattered um, kind of of, of landscape of, of of what people can play
1: yeah I'd say one thing I definitely learned is that um just always I think this is just like for everyone but uh always be prepared when like things um, don't go the way that you think they would have gone. Mostly just because um when I finished the first game and I was like, okay, I've now mapped out the path that they've taken. I've written down what they've done. And then I started thinking about like preparing for the second game and I was like, there are a bunch of rooms which these people had no interactions with and presumably still have evidence of something weird happening there that the second group are going to interact with. And I was like, I really should have thought about that and completely yeah. different didn't. So I was just like okay so like they're probably going to like interact with these other rooms and like might even think that something happened there and I'll have to like prepare for that.
0: Well I mean like the the cool thing that you set up is because you were leading them on with these um these uh archaeological clues. You knew already that there wouldn't well there would be some but there wouldn't be like any left by the Pasha players in those rooms so you you already had this kind of like vague guide towards like where they needed to go yeah which is which is cool i think
1: yeah i think it was just like nightmare visions of the idea of them finding a room in which was fossilized and they were just like what happened here and i'm just sitting there going like trying to hold in literally nothing happened there please move on
0: mm, it's it is it is a problem sometimes it can be like honestly just as interesting but i think um definitely always be prepared for your players to go off script is a decent piece of advice for any gm in basically any game i think in fact i think it was like such an important piece of advice that we even did an entire episode of the podcast about it we did episode 18 dm improv
1: yeah it was great
0: yeah because that is the likelihood you're just going to have to deal with that and sometimes I think we said on that episode like sometimes as a player you're going to clock that your dm is improvising don't feel bad about that because you're going to you're going to get into like a, a a cycle of the the players either going further off track to screw with the dm or realizing that they've gone off track and are inconveniencing the dm and trying to get back on and like either way if you try and change your behavior as a player to like fit then it's going to do something weird. Just try and roleplay accurately and, and go with, with what your, uh, your your GM's trying to do.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we threw you off track on Monday.
0: Oh, yeah, you did. I guess I can talk about that briefly. So um, in my Monday campaign, we have just finished a really amusing arc where in order to obtain the magical MacGuffin that is... Required to get back on track with your like overarching story, you all had to compete in a professional wrestling tournament. Yeah, <laughs> I love. And this this must have been excruciating for you because for those of you who don't know, Maxi, much like me, is a uh, a big fan of um, professional wrestling, uh, WWE specifically. I've watched like a couple of indie shows which didn't really do it for me. They were fine, they were all right, um, but. Zaloshka, Tolkien Zaloshka, the uh, the character that Maxi played, has, as far as I can tell, uh, not had a positive emotion in the last three years and is not is not down with, with wrestling and thinks it's stupid and and performative and and you know it's fake, right?
1: It was so. absolutely killing me.
0: <laughs> so yeah, you you gotta be like be this this like super like almost mark-like player playing this like completely um sandbagging not not into it at all character oh
1: even as you say it it's killing me
0: <laughs> but there was this thing where um Toxaloshka is a displaced tiefling like she is a tiefling who was born to tiefling parents in the the city that they were in but because her parents were both at the time royal guards of the god king uh and the God King was like, "Please don't fraternize with each other because we're at war, and I don't want you to like do that and have babies." So they were punished for it, and they couldn't keep the child. The child was sent on this pilgrimage, where she like eventually got adopted by dwarvish parents in Meslin. So she's grown up like as a dwarf with dwarvish culture. Um, she has a dwarvish name, which is why like her surname goes first with a hyphen after it. That's why she's called like Tolk Zeloshka. Like Zel is is, is her actual name. So. There was this thing where it's like, oh, and, and also you might meet your biological parents here. And she did. Um, you might have one more opportunity to interact with your uh, your your bio mom, who is like a palace guard now, so not like a royal guard. She got demoted. She's just like outside the, the lift now, but she's still got a job. Whereas her bio dad, uh, Perseverance, got fired entirely and then turned into like, one of the legends of this uh, pro wrestling league and is an XP for the undertaker. Okay. And so he turned up cause the, the, the final tournament that they did was a, was the Royal rumble mm-hmm. because I was like, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm basically going to do like a wrestling nerd thing and have like these five players fight XPs of all of my faves. Um, and like, I, I had I, I like set out like what all of the um, uh, numbers were going to be. And I had like number 28 is Zell. And number 29 is um, Balbogash, who is supposed to be an XP of Roman Reigns, because that like gave me the opportunity to have the crowd just start yelling bullshit. <laughs> and then number 30 is uh, the Revenant, who is Zell's bio dad, um, who hates that she exists and like legitimately tries to kill her in the ring. And so like later we had it that he is going to continue trying to kill her because he's, like, got it into his head that he can, like, he can, like, restore his honour and and um, restore himself to his former esteemed position if he erases the evidence of his mistake by killing Zeloshka, which is not how it works, and, like, Lute the God King in person told Zeloshka that that is not how it works, but he would not listen, and he attempted to attack Zell and Jay uh, outside the lift, and... Because we were waiting for um, Kia, who was the, uh, the Dragonborn Rev- Rev's um, player, like, Kia, to actually come online so that we could do, like, the, the, the side plot with Rev, I was like, oh, this will take up some time for a bit. And Jay was just like, nope, and just, like, dimension doored out <laughs> with, with Zell. And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, Percy just tried to, like, murder guests of the God King in front of palace guards. So I guess he's dead now. Yeah. Because it's like, that's treason. You can't just do that. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he, he I was just like, off screen, he got murdered by a group of palace guards who included his, like, ex-lover. Yeah. I, I kind of hope that you do, like, meet and talk to Chastity at some point before you leave, but uh, I don't know whether that's something that Zell will be compelled to do.
1: I'm planning on it, because, like, Zell feels kind of weird about, like, the way that went down. Mm. and feels as though like maybe she should at least say something to her biological mother right um like a part of me like is just super paranoid that like um i I don't know if him being the revenant was a stage name and uh, or the actual story arc that he had as a wrestler in that he died two years ago has actually made him a Revenant who he is yes, going
0: to show up. thing. Like, this is the problem that I had with... Because um, it's like, when you have actual wrestling, you have wrestlers like um, The Undertaker and uh, Bray Wyatt and, and whatever, who like have these, these magical special effect powers that they can do in the ring. And like Kane, I guess. Mm. But when you transpose that into Dungeons & Dragons, you have to deal with the fact that people, as a matter of course, may or may not have magical powers. And in fact, there was a point during the Rumble where um, Reva class actually got disqualified for assuming a water elemental form. Yeah. Because, because you can't grapple a water elemental to throw it over the top rope. And the ref just comes in and goes like, no, you can't just make yourself unthrow throw over the ropeable. That's like we, we let a lot of stuff slide for the purposes of sports entertainment, but you can't do that. That is not fair. And so I think, like, Rev tried to make a charisma save to be like, if I turn back into a Dragonborn, can I stay in? And the Rev Ref was just like, no, no, you can't. You blur. Get out. Because I was I was wanting to make it so that, like, Zell and the Revenant had this one-on-one thing, and I could not get Silas out of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Like, every bloody time I brought in a wrestler who was going to try and, like, get rid of him, it did not work.
1: And, like, it, it like almost killed zell to like get silas out of the ring afterwards when she ultimately turned on him and we were just like i imagine them just rolling on the ropes together like trying to like forcibly push one another off the uh
0: oh yeah that's right because like um i mean effectively silas jobbed to zell right because it was always even though you were like let's not do this like obviously um silas like giving it up it's like it's gonna be zell yeah Zell is going to win.
1: I mean, Zell was just, like, of the mind that she'd seen the confetti barrels and she hadn't... She doesn't know that Silas oh, had one yeah. full of fireworks. Thing,
0: is that Zell is currently under a, a, an, oath, an oath to um, Silas's horrifying Dark Souls boss-esque um, fey patron Yeah. To, to, like, not let harm come to him. And she knew that he'd set up this, like, weird shit for when people get thrown out of the ring involving fireworks, and she's like, oh no, I can't eliminate it because he's going to kill himself. <laughs> <laughs> As it uh, happened, Silas ended up getting a concussion because he's an idiot.
1: Yeah, and then like we, we left him alone to experiment on fireworks because we decided not to bring him for an audience with the God King in case he decided to create anarchy and chaos in the middle of the throne room. So we couldn't win, basically.
0: No. No Silas is a character. I definitely should have Matt on one of these while I'm like trying to podcast without Beth so that we could talk about like um, we could talk about all three of his characters actually like matt is is very good at creating colorful characters. I want to talk about Silas and Harrow and Leatherhead.
1: Maybe while like Beth is uh, essentially out of commission for the podcast, you could just send her a message to like say, like what questions would you like to um, ask Matt about Harrow if you just get Harrow on? I mean, just get Matt on.
0: That's a good idea, actually. And I suppose as well, like, this is kind of weird because obviously uh, when it, when and if we actually get Matt on, we'll probably be the first that a lot of people are hearing about these characters. But if there's, like, any questions that people in the audience want to ask Matt, I could probably, like, try and get that in. Also, if you have any questions for Maxie, um, I mean, it's probably not going to be the last time we have her on the show. And also... Uh, your YouTube name is Maxi fails Dex checks in real real life or something like that, right?
1: Yeah, but like um, uh, you can find me on Twitter as Marcus M- Marcus Monk.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yes, that's a thing that we do on on the podcast when we're finishing up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I've been Alex, and this has been Maxi. You can find me on Twitter, Tumblr, and Twitch as Cleaver Crumish, which I will spell in the description with links, I guess. No, I'm not going to do links. Screw you. Go and go and find me on the services. You can do Put in a bit of work. And um, you are Marques Monk on Twitter, which is probably the best place to contact you. Yep. Right. Cool. Um. So yeah, the, the, the that that, uh, that is, has been great. I've no idea what I'm going to use for like a cold open and a stinger because we you, we we've stayed like largely on topic. Uh, yeah. Now.
1: Yeah, we have.
0: Mm. Anyway, so yeah, the, that was that was great. Thank you for coming on the show, Maxi.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. So
0: yeah, I don't know when the next episode's going to be. Oh God, 30 episodes, and we've been doing the show for over two years. Man, I I wish we could be more regular, guys. It's not it's not going to happen. Like I've I've decided, like at this point, we really just stop making excuses for it because it, it's not that you know we slip up. It's that it is literally untenable for us to do a weekly or bi-weekly podcast at this point. Like where my life is and particularly where beth's life is at the moment it just it just is not going to happen so you get new episodes when you get new episodes and i'm not worrying too much if they go on long i think i'm just going to like upload this one as is because the qcon episodes have like a a, like a, a reputation i guess like there's a precedent for them just being like longer than an hour yeah um but If I, like, get to do an episode with Beth and it ends up becoming a two-parter because it was so long, it's like, I'm not going to turn down more content. That's not going to happen, you know, that we can actually just get something out for you to listen to, Um, because those have not been received badly, like the previous two that we did. So you'll get some podcast when you get it, and I hope that you uh, find it enjoyable. In the meantime, um, please do continue sending us uh, topics and, I guess, stories, like... D&D stories like if I got enough of those like solicited from other people I could theoretically just do an episode by myself where I talked about like actual d stories from other people I could do my my reading voice come and watch my stream by the way if you like hearing me do silly voices because currently I am playing Baldur's Gate on Sundays where a lot of characters I end up doing silly voices for just because it makes the reading less monotonous that you have to do to understand that game So. It's good, it's good. I've, I've got further, I think, than I've ever got before. We, we just, uh, at time of recording, I've just stepped into the actual city of Baldur's Gate for the first time.
1: Mm. Um, how many questions are you doing for like the, uh, the Q&A episode? Because I know I might send you a bulk ton.
0: You could send us some. Like I think we don't yet have enough to do an actual episode, so like definitely more would help. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, um, Thursdays on the stream is probably going to be Clive Barker's Undying. Going forward, which I'm not gonna do silly voices for because I'm pretty sure it's all voice acted, but it's cool. It's like a, it's a horror game. Um, it's from that Quake era where everybody looks like they're made of construction paper, which I'm super into as an aesthetic. So uh, it's it's cool. It's gonna be great. So that is uh, Twitch.tv forward slash Cleaver Crumish uh, on Thursdays and Sundays. So yes, thank you for joining us all on uh, on House of Bards, and uh, yeah. Uh, so from from me. Uh, And from Maxi, goodbye. Bye.
1: Oh, Um, and if I get any questions about, like, uh, what was the dark sphere thing in the air and, like, how did the Pashas deal with that? I'll just answer it right now. They had a wand of wonder and they, uh, rolled, um, tractor beam for it and they shot down the, uh, just this massive, uh, orb in the air that was gathering power to basically, um, do a death star on the citadel. So nice. like they they just like we got a wand of wonder we might as well use it and there was there was absolutely no way I feel um, that the bards could have found out that they had like this wand of wonder and that's how they like figured it out though if anyone wants to like offer suggestions of how the how I could have made it so that the bards could have figured that out like I'd love to hear it.